Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. You guys okay today? Yeah, yeah. Anybody other than me think we ought to move church outside today? Really nice. Thank you, Lord. Hey, I tell you what, we'll do it. Okay, we'll do it on November 3rd. Okay, November, some of you are saying, why is November 3rd funny? November 3rd might be funny if you knew that we do our annual church picnic. We call it Praise and Play in the Park. It's going to take place this November 3rd. And uh, we'll be over at Wanamaker Park for worship that day. There won't be any gathering in the building here. We, we will gather outside both services together. It'll be a great day of celebration. You can find out more details uh, there in your newsletter. And also uh, on our website. So I encourage you to... to kind of get up to date on that. I want to just give a special invitation to our seniors uh, or maybe some uh, of you who might have some uh, physical limitations to say, please don't stay home. Uh, our deacons are going to work to be in the parking lot, other members of our church to, to help you overcome anything like that. We'll carry your chairs for you. We'll, we, we want you there. You're part of our family and there's no way to have a family day at the park if part of the family can't come. And so we, we love you and we want to make sure you know that and that we'll, we'll go out of our way to... Um, try to serve you that way. Uh, also, uh, just uh, something to be praying about on Monday, October the 21st, in this space right here, it'll be kind of converted a little bit, but we're going to be hosting uh, the annual gathering of the Charleston Baptist Association. And uh, we'll be celebrating what God's doing and looking at the vision for plan uh, God has in the days ahead. I've, I've named it Kingdom Monday. Uh, because it is another way that we have an opportunity to serve churches. Now, here, here's the thing. Uh, the, the, the church is, is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is much bigger than the church. But the kingdom of God has churches. Local outposts of gospel lights for the purpose of winning a city to Christ. And we partner together. We don't, we don't think we're the only show in town. We don't think we're the best show in town. We're collaborators. We're not competitors with every other church that's proclaiming the gospel in our city. And we want to we serve them. And we do that in several ways. And this is one more opportunity. And so we'll need some help. Right after the, the 11 o'clock service on the 20th, we're going to have to kind of convert this space over to tables and chairs. So the, this crowd, I know you're saying, well, we won't be here. We'll be gone. But you can go get brunch and come back and help. See how that works? I thought it out and... You know, it's the plan. So, uh, if, if you could come back and serve that way, that, that would be awesome. Now, we, we, have, uh, we were in a series uh, walking verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. And we took a break for the summer. And, you know, in Charleston, the summer kind of starts in April and lasts through, you know, November. Um, but, so, it, we, we went a little bit longer. I actually thought we were just going to take July off and do something else. But, uh, really, the, I think the Lord led us into some other space. But, uh, we, we ended our study in the book of Ephesians in chapter 4. We dealt with the first six verses of chapter 4. And uh, we did that message back on the 23rd of June. You can go back and
and listen to it if you want to to get kind of caught up into the series. We call the series Connect because it's all about uh, connecting, connecting with God, connecting with one another, and really a vision of what the church should be, uh, being connected together. And this morning we're going to be looking at something uh, that is a connection again to one another and to God and how his plan for, for ministry actually happens. And so I, I hope you'll kind of engage with me on that. So what I want to do is open God's Word together, and we're going to be in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, and in Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start reading um, in verse 7 today. So if you have your scriptures open, uh, read with me. Uh, as soon as I find verse 7. Here it goes. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fulfill all things. Now, is that really clear to everybody? Yeah, it's, that's really... Uh, you, you kind of wonder, okay, he was talking about up here the measures of gifts in Christ, and I was getting that, but man, he took a hard left there. Then he picks back up in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, so it's almost like you could read verse, verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. That word grace is actually gift. It's kairis, it's translated, and it can be translated as gift. So we have that, and then uh, back to verse 11, and it says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with, with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Now, what that passage of scripture, I believe, is a focus on is a connection that we have with God through the presence of the Holy Spirit living in us that he gives us unique giftings so that we can connect with one another. So it's all about connection. It's about being connected with God through the presence of the Holy Spirit and then being connected with one another through this thing called spiritual gifts. And so we're going to look this morning at spiritual gifts. Now, um, I've been serving on church staff that I recently kind of passed my 38-year mark of being in ministry vocationally. I know you wouldn't know that looking at me. I started when I was seven. And, um, the, uh, and, but in that time, those 38 years, one of the things that I've witnessed is I've seen a pendulum swing on this issue of spiritual gifts. And sometimes the pendulum is way over here and it's, it's all about uh, churches are kind of obsessing and uh, kind of way over the line excessively about spiritual gifts. And then the, the pendulum swings back over here where people say, spiritual what's? 
You know, they almost where, where the gifts are ignored. And that's not God's plan. God, God has a wonderful plan. And I'm praying today that we will see that, that there's really nothing more practical in understanding God's kind of purpose and method for the church than embracing God's teaching on spiritual gift, the Bible's teaching on spiritual gifts. So we're going we're gonna to think this morning a little bit about this theology of spiritual gifts and how it, how it impacts the church. And what we're going to see, I hope, if, if this is your church, we're going to see what, not only what the church should look like or a local church should look like, but I want us to get real specific and ask, how does this impact this church? How does it impact River Bluff Church? So what we're going to do is we're going to kind of take three questions and throw at this text. And the first question that we're going to answer is this, is what, what, what are spiritual gifts? What, what are they, just practically speaking, what are they? Secondly, how should spiritual gifts impact River Bluff Church? Since there are such a thing as spiritual gifts, what, what impact, what, what, what's the implication for, for our church? And then third, how should I, how should you individually engage with the Spirit through spiritual gifts and, and then the, the, the church? So here's what I want to do. I want to give you my definition of spiritual gifts. Now I've wrestled with this. It's changed. It's transformed. 20 years from now, it may be different again. But here's, here's kind of at the core what I understand spiritual gifts to be. Spiritual gifts are different. Differing abilities expressed by the Holy Spirit in every believer to meet needs in such a way that it creates a community of people who are growing together in the fullness of Christ. That's my, my one kind of sentence definition of what spiritual gifts are. And I want to I take some time to just unpack that definition. And so what I want to start first with, I'm kind of jumping the differing abilities a little bit, but I want to start first with the idea of human needs. Now in the scriptures, there are five places in the New Testament where there are actual lists of spiritual gifts given. Um, the first is in, found in Romans chapter 12. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there are actually two different lists given and then we find uh, a, a list here in uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and then we find another list in 1 Peter chapter 4. And there are some duplications of those gifts but for the most part the lists are, are, are really pretty different. And for me, that makes it clear they're not exhaustive, they're, they're illustrative. And if you put them all together, I still don't believe you have what is the, the, the cutoff, the comprehensive list of spiritual gifts. Because even back in the Old Testament, all throughout Scripture, you'll see the gifts mentioned, even back in the Old Testament. And so there's not one place that you can turn to in the Bible and say, okay, here's the exhaustive list, there's no more gifts than that. I, I think the Holy Spirit has the, the ability to create an expression of himself in a believer as he wills, as he chooses. So there, there, are, there are lots of different gifts and we may not even see them all uh, outlaid in the scriptures. But one of the things that I do see as I study the scriptures around these and those lists is there are clusters. There are kind of identifiable clusters uh, of spiritual gifts and, and, and kind of clustered uh, uh, around certain ideas. So there are some gifts that are clustered around the ability to communicate. 
And so, uh, you know, communicate truth. And so there's, there's the gift of evangelism. There's the gift of teaching. There's the gift of, uh, of prophecy. And, and so they, they get clustered around that. There are other gifts that are clustered around uh, the ability to help carry someone's burden. And so you have the gifts of encouragement. You have gifts of mercy, gifts of, of service. The Bible says gifts of helps. And then you have other gifts that are clustered around kind of giving direction to people. And so you have leadership and you have the gift of administration and you have a, a gift of wisdom. And a gift of wisdom is really like a, a counseling gift, but it's given so that you can give direction to an individual, uh, kind of the gift of wisdom. So it's, it, it's, this, it's clustered around this idea of giving direction. But when, when I look at all the lists together, uh, what, it, what it tells me is this. There is no human need, no human need that's left out. A spiritual, physical, psychological, emotional, relational, that, that God has created and expresses himself through every believer differently to meet all the different variety of human needs there are. Spiritual gifts are given to address these, these human needs. And so when we're, when we're wounded, God sends somebody who can encourage us. When we're kind of lagging behind in our faith, God sends somebody to challenge us. When we're going astray, God sends somebody to, to give you a back head slap, you know? Um, when, 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 we're, when we're feeling rejected, God sends somebody with mercy to embrace us. When we're, when we're ignorant about something in God's word, God sends somebody to inform us. But there's no human need that spiritual gifts do not somehow address. And so there's this great variety, this, this differing of ability. But the Bible says every believer has the expression, at least one expression, of a spiritual gift that the Holy Spirit expresses himself through, through the life of a believer in, in a special way. Ephesians 4 verse 7 tells us this. It says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And even, even though we're called to be united, verses 1 through 6 was all about unity. Even though we're called to live as one in Christ, one of the things that spiritual gifts do is they create incredible diversity. Just incredible diversity um, from one Christian to another. It, you know, in, in the way we see things and what they're drawn to, how they look at the world. It, it makes Christians very, very different. It, it makes churches often very, very different. Because the gifts in one church, that mixture of spiritual gifts, will be different. So there'll, there'll be a lot of different churches coming at life and, 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 and its work very, very differently. It's, it's one of the reasons you, you have so many denominations and uh, that, that's part of it. Now, another reason is sin. I'll just, you know, call it for what it is. Uh, sometimes our diversity is more about sin than about spiritual gifts. But, but the spiritual gifts do create a, a lot of diversity. Now, even though it, it, it makes us very different, it never makes any of us what might be considered like super believers or, or, or super Christians, you know, uh, just those who, who, who got some gifting. The Bible says that every one of us Every one of us, to each of us. When you, when you read that and it says to each of us, who's the us? Christians. 
Those who are, who are in Christ. If you have trusted Christ with your eternity, with your here and now and with your eternity, it's for all of us. Paul's saying it's not just for those who are given, you know, the, the opportunity to teach publicly or anything like that. It's, it's to each. So everybody in Christ gets a portion. And now here's what that means. Jesus has, Jesus himself has all the abilities. That's who Jesus is. He has all the abilities to, to, to comfort, to communicate truth, to give direction. He has it all. But he gives you, if you're in Christ, he gives you a portion of his divine abilities. Jesus apportions that through the Holy Spirit. Everybody gets at least one. Nobody gets all of them. Why, why do you imagine that it is? Why, why doesn't God just give it to, you know, like two people in the church so that you can know who they are and what they are? Why don't he just give two people in every church all of the gifts? Because that would battle against God's ultimate goal for the gifts and, and, and for ministry. See, everybody gets a gift. Some are, some are public. You know, he, he lists some of the more public gifts here. He, Paul lists in this passage, pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets. And, and what does he say that, that group of gifting is given for in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12? What's the purpose of giving that, those kinds of gifts? Equipping. For, for equipping the whole church to do its, its work. Now that's, that's why these days, when a, a young man may come and say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with a struggle. Uh, I think I'm being called into the ministry. And I said, tell me what that looks like. And they'll start unpacking what that looks like. And I'll say, no, you're not being called into ministry. You're being called out of ministry. And normally I get, huh? You know, what, what, what do you mean? Well, what you're being called to is equipping. That's the role that these positions, these giftings are for, the Bible says. It's for the equipping of the saints. Now, I know that doesn't mean that, that, that teachers and shepherds and those kinds of things aren't supposed to be uh, continuing in ministry. But their primary role is to equip the church to do the work of ministry. Another thing that the, the, the gifts do, and this is really what I would say is the ultimate goal of it, is found in verses 12 through 13. Look at what it says. It says, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Basically what it's saying is that we, God's ultimate purpose for spiritual gifts is not to make you happy. Not to just give you something else to do. The, the purpose of the spiritual gifts is to build us into a body. To build us, to connect us. So that we will see ourselves connected. Do you know the difference between an aggregation and a congregation? Uh, an aggregation is um, when you just pull a bunch of stuff. It's like a bag of marbles. Okay, an aggregation would be like a, you know, a bag of a thousand marbles. They're all in there. They're all a little bit different. They're touching one another, you know, but they really are not, they don't have this purpose together. They're just, they're just j these marbles. And now the truth is I've seen some congregations like that, some churches like that, that are more like an aggregation than a congregation. They bump into each other every now and then, but they're, they're not a, an actual body. See, a congregation, the purpose of a congregation is to be a body. A, a body that's working together, that sees everybody's diff, differing gifts as, as a gift. 
that their, their gift is necessary, that their gift is indispensable. And so the Holy Spirit, through his expression, through you, is trying to make us a body. And that's why it's, it's so necessary. And so the imagery in the scripture, often when Paul's writing about spiritual gifts, he compares it to a body and he talks about, you know, head and shoulders, knees and toes kind of thing. You know, he, he's talking about it as, as a body. And so the Holy Spirit is working to make River Bluff Church a body united in purpose. And that purpose is that we all move towards Christ-likeness. We're all growing in, in maturity. And so if, if you're teaching, you don't just teach in general. If you're greeting, you don't just greet in general. See, when the spiritual gifts are exercised rightly, the, what, what happens is the recipient and then the whole begins to, in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds, we begin to live and, and be seen more like little Jesuses. We, that's, that's God's plan. And that our church as a whole, when people think about our church, they think about Jesus, not us, not some ministry that we do, but they think about Jesus. I remember recently reading um, about a professor um, from uh, Harvard who was a, a professor of theology uh, at Harvard, Har um, actually theology and, and Bible. And one of the things he loved was when the new freshman came in. And he loved being able to get th this kind of new undergraduate freshman because he knew that most of them knew the name of Jesus but knew nothing about him really. Had never really read their Bibles if they had them. Uh, never anything like that. And so what he loved doing was assigning them, reading from the gospel so that they would actually have and they would be testing on it. They would actually uh, you know, have their first experience with, with who Jesus was. Dr. Cadbury kept uh, some of the writings of some of his students when they, when they found Jesus. He, he talked about that one of the things he loved is it was he wanted their virgin reaction to, uh, to Jesus. And so one of his students wrote something that I just found really powerful. It says this. It says, when you read about Jesus, you ask who he is. And he says this, despite being absolutely approachable to the weakest and most broken people, he's completely fearless before the proud and the corrupt. Despite being profoundly human and becoming weary and lonely and moved to joy and love and anger, we never see him moody. We never see him inconsistent. He's tender without being weak, strong without being harsh, humble without the slightest lack of confidence. Jesus has conviction without intolerance, enthusiasm without fanaticism, holiness without Phariseeism, passion without prejudice. This man alone never made a false step, never struck a jarring note. This is life at its highest. This was a freshman student who had had his first real encounter with Jesus and he was just blown away. This is, this is the highest vision of life. And see, that's the point. That's the point of the giving of spiritual gifts. When spiritual gifts are, are, are given and being used in a congregation, what results in, in the lives of God's people is this transformation. Now, the last thing that I want to kind of say, uh, unpacking that, that definition is this. The real essence of spiritual gifts is, is the blessing of God. Not the action uh, in ministry, but, but the blessings uh, of God. Is, is what that's about. See, 
you and I live in this pluralistic, pragmatic culture. And where what really matters in our culture, that you know, they'll tell you they don't care about your accent, they don't care about where you're from, they don't care, you know, how you dress. All they want to know is, can you produce? Can, can you can you produce? Can are you good enough to make things happen? And so there's this in our culture this enormous emphasis on being talented so that you can get things done, being gifted to get things done. And so often that spills over into the church, and for some that becomes the point of spiritual gifts. But God's plan for spiritual gifts is not about technical perfection. It's not about whether, you know, you can do the job perfectly. The, the purpose of God is Christ-likeness in people. And so that only comes from the blessing of God. Let me, let me give you a, a couple of examples if I can. There are, there are some pastors and, and teaching pastors who, when you, when you measure them, I mean, you know, there, there are classes on this, homiletics classes and all those kinds of things where, you know, preachers study on how to deliver a message. And there are some pastors that when they, they deliver a message, they are nowhere close to what the standards should be. You know, they don't follow the protocols. They, they're they're kind of off, off, off the mark. And so, technically, they wouldn't get high scores. But God uses them. And then there are others who will get high scores and nothing happens. No, nobody walks away thinking about God, about Jesus. Nobody, nobody leaves changed. And the reason for that is because it, it's not about technique. It's about the blessing of God. Is God blessing? Is God doing something there? See, we, we have to recognize gifts in ourselves and the people around us, not for what pragmatically they can accomplish, but is, is God at work there? Because that's what spiritual gifts are, the movement of God. So that's kind of the first question. What, what, what are spiritual gifts? You know, and, and what they do is they, they really create what a church should be about. Second question, and I want us to get more specific, is how should these gifts impact, how should spiritual gifts impact River Bluff Church? What would it look like? And I want to give you four, what I think of as four kind of impacts, four implications, four biblical applications, if you would, of, of how spiritual gifts are intended to, to impact the church. The first impact would be this, there would be no unemployed Christians in the church. If we, were, if we were living out the biblical model of spiritual gifts, there would be no unemployed Christians in the church. And I'm not talking about vocationally in the world. I'm talking about in the church. Every one of you would have a ministry in the body and a mission in the world. Every one of you would be doing something. There would, there would be no passive Christians in the church. There would be nobody who just came and sat and soaked and eventually soured. You know, if you, if you soak something in water long enough, you may start to try to get it clean, but if you leave it in there long enough, what happens? It sours. It, it, it just does. And that's what happens in the lives of believers because that was not God's intent. He gives you gifting for the purpose of growing and moving his church along. I want you to think about this implication from Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. It says, for we are God's workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works. 
Good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, you've been, you've been handcrafted. Your unique abilities and your experiences and your personality, God, God mixed all that into you. He put that in you for a purpose in his kingdom and in his church. See, you take your gifts and everybody else's gifts who are different along with, with your gender and your experience and your ethnicity and your heart and passion and you put all of that, you get a, a unique shape for ministry that nobody else, nobody else at River Bluff Church has. Nobody has exactly all that you bring to the table and that means there are, there are people here who need to be encouraged by you. There are people who show up here who need to be reached for the sake of the gospel by you and you alone. There are some deeds that need to get done that only you can do because you're the very best person that God created in his image to accomplish that. Now, to understand your gifts and to exercise your gifts, what happens is you will find your purpose in life. A very recent study of the church has determined that most of the Christian community, evangelical church, has said, I don't know what my purpose in life is. It's because they're not connected to their shape, to their spiritual gifts, to what God has given them, to applying that in different ways. So the first obstacle, if you would, to this, to this idea of everybody being employed, oftentimes, if you've ever been in a really small church, a church of less than a hundred, one of the problems of, of everybody, you know, uh, getting kind of employed in ministry is in small churches, there's so much to be done that one of the obstacles there is a few people are doing everything and they're wearing themselves out. They're, 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 they're just exhausted and, and burn out and things really aren't getting done um, because they're not gifted to do it. But they think somebody's got to do it and I guess I'm somebody so I'll, I'll go do it. When they do that, they ignore the Bible's call for spiritual gifts. See, we, we have it in our minds that every church has to have every ministry out there and that's not true. God doesn't call every church to do every ministry identically. And so there are some churches out there with people in them who are trying to accomplish a ministry task that God never assigned to that church. But somebody somewhere told them, that, hey, you're a church, you've got to have this. And they, they, they just wear themselves out and they miss out on, on the love of God. Another obstacle that keeps this employed church Christian thing from happening is, has to do with, with, with kind of the output kind of thing or, or the input. In, in, in larger churches, one of the things that often happens is people show up because they, they think in a larger church I can hide and nobody will ever ask me to do anything. And Some of you are laughing. And you can, I can tell who you are by how you walk in the doors. You, you come in with a certain look on your face and you start scanning the room thinking, that chair over there, if I sit in that chair over there, nobody will speak to me. Nobody will ask me my name. Nobody will ask me to do anything. I'm just going to kind of sink in under the radar, you know. And, and what happens is you miss out on the, the, the beauty of God's, of God's plan for your life. And you, you come to church and what you do is you just come mainly for input, input, input. There is no output from your life. You're spiritually constipated. You can't just keep taking it in. There's got to be the outflow, the expression of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's, that's God's plan for you. If all you do is come in and input, 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 you will be 
miserable eventually in your faith because you're violating the will of the Holy Spirit. You're in violation of the will of the Holy Spirit. Remember, to each of us is given a gift. Each, each of us, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 tells us this, to each is given the manifestation, that expression of the Spirit for the common good. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Each of you have been given a, a portion. You're God's workmanship. Certain things that only you can do and, and the rest of us need for you to do so that our lives could be complete. See, God doesn't waste people. He doesn't waste his assets. And that's why it's absolutely critical that we embrace this biblical model for spiritual gifts that if we did, there would be no unemployed Christians. A second impact that I see here would be this for our church. There would be tension in the church. Some of you are saying, well, we got that one down. There, there would be tension in the church if, the, if spiritual gifts were actually operating. Not disunity. Didn't say disunity. I said there, there would be tension to a certain degree. Romans chapter 12 verse 6 says this. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. I don't know if I've ever told you this, this illustration before. I think I have with some of you. Um, the first church that I went on staff at, uh, I, was, I was somebody's kind of assistant in student ministry. I was Pastor Kurt. I was his student ministry assistant. And um, when I left there, I went to another church. There's another church in the city, Deer Park. And when I got there, not long after I got there, I went there because my, uh, I, there, I was at a place at that church where it was time for me to go on. And uh, my advisor at college um, invited me to come on staff with him to be his student pastor and evangelism pastor. And so he invited me to come with him. I prayed about it and I thought the Lord was leading. And so I, I went. And about, about three weeks after I got there, his name was Tom Pratt. Dr. Pratt got a call from his alma mater in Texas. He's this big old Texan guy. Got his call from his alma mater asking him to come be the, the chairman of the religion department there. It was his dream job. And he came and said, he really did. He said, Joe, I will not take this. I got you here. I won't just leave you stranded. And I said, of course, you got to go, man. I love you. This was a great opportunity. So he went. Well, shortly after that, um, you know, people started coming more to me with questions about things. But they also came to me with counsel. And especially about this youth ministry that I had just taken on. And so people would come and say, I, I just want you to know what the biggest problem has been with our youth ministry. And so one person came to me and said, the biggest problem with the youth ministry in this church over the years has been the turnover of, of, of student ministers. They, they just kind of come, they stay a little while and they go. So it's a lack of commitment. I said, okay, that's the biggest problem. I got that. Uh, a few weeks later, somebody else came and said, Joe, you know, the biggest problem with our student ministry in the past has been they, they don't do in-depth Bible study. They just don't really dig into the word. There's no life application. Man, you got, you got to lead these kids in good Bible study. And I said, oh, oh, I thought it was that. But okay, it's Bible study. Well, a little bit later, somebody else came to me and said, Joe, the, the biggest problem with this youth ministry over the years has been we don't really minister to the, the needs of the kids who are hurting. Some of them have come from broken homes. Some of them have parents who are alcoholics and, and uh, abuse drugs. Some of them are abused by their parents. We just, we need to be, a, we need to create a loving environment. 
And at the time, I'm thinking, these people are nuts. What is Dr. Pratt, everybody, you know, they're, they're all saying, this is the, you know, the, what, what the big problem is. Well, the person at the time that was nuts was me. And here's why. Because they were all right. Every last one of them was right. From their perspective of gifting. God had put them in that body to say this to me. God had put them in that body to say, we got to focus on this and we got to focus on that. We got to focus on this. And that's why sometimes when we're like in a family meeting or when we're at other meeting and somebody says, hey, we got to do this. And you're thinking, that person doesn't, or, do they go to the same church as me? You know, they get so passionate about this one thing and you're thinking, I didn't know that was going on. Because their gifting is different. And so spiritual gifts are going to create unbelievable tension in the church sometimes. But that's God ordained. God wants us to press in on each other a little bit. To challenge one another. Where, where spiritual gifts are actually flowing. There's going to be some, some tension. And here's what happens. A lot of churches don't want that. A lot of churches don't know how to deal with that. And so sometimes leaders will try to squelch that kind of thing. And we've got to be careful about that because a biblical understanding helps us come to understand that, you know, nobody, no human's actually in control. The Holy Spirit's in control. In a church that's Jesus' church, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 says this. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but what? The same Spirit. The, the same Spirit. And we need to understand that it'll create tension. But here's the other thing. Here's a third thing. That if the gifts are operating in our church the way they're supposed to be, a third impact will be this. There'll be the destruction of pride in the church. There'll be the destruction of personal pride. And let me add this. There'll also be the destruction of jealousy. Of jealousy. See, every organization that I know in the world and some churches are filled with people who get jealous. Filled with people who have pride because different people have different influences in that organization. Some people have more, some people have less. And, and the people with, with more sometimes lord it over people with less influence in, in their position. And there are people who have less that are distrustful uh, of those who seem to have more. But the, spirit, the biblical foundation that spiritual gifts operate on is this. God himself, he's the one that made all the appointments. He's the one that made the assignments. I want you to look at some scripture with me. Romans chapter 12. Paul writes this. For by the grace given to me, I say to every among, one among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Who assigned it? God did. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body. Each one of them as he chose. God, God did the arranging. Romans 13. Let everyone, every person be subject to the governing authorities for as there is no one except from God. Uh, excuse me. For there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Now, now let me demonstrate this kind of, those in a practical way. When, when our church, uh, when our deacons gather annually to elect elders, our prayer is that what they're doing is, is actually seeing an expression of the Holy Spirit 
through leadership and eldership kind of leadership, shepherding leadership in somebody's life. That when, when they're elected as an elder, that it's being seen as, as God appointed that person. And so if we understand that and your name was on the ballot next to the person who got elected and yours didn't, you don't have pride about it because your, your thought is God did that. If you're not even on the ballot, your thought is, God, God did that. And, and you'll say, this is God. There's not people lobbying behind it all. It's just, it's God appointed. That's, that's what should happen. Then, the really awesome thing here is that a church then gives base, bathed in, in the Spirit. And you start embracing that and so there's going to be tension and there'll be jostling. But on the other hand, there'll be this kind of lubrication of understanding that as we wrestle with issues, we respect each other. And so there's no jealousy, there's no resentment, there's no pride, there's no arrogance. It's the beauty of God's plan for giftedness. A fourth impact when we're operating biblically with spiritual gifts that it would have on, on the church and specifically have on River Bluff Church is the church, our church, would be more focused on fruit than anything else. Not the gifts, but the outcome. Because spiritual gifts are the means to get us to the end. Look at Ephesians 4.13. Here's the end. That we would all come to the measure of the stature of the fulfillment of Christ. We would all look more like Jesus because you have a spiritual gift. And you're using it. In our thinking and speaking and our living, we would look more and more like Jesus. Please, never ever make the mistake of thinking that the gifts are about themselves. The gifts are always about the fruit. The outcome. And the Bible tells us real clearly there's a very uh, precise list. It's not all of the fruit of the Spirit, but a, a great list is found in Galatians chapter 5. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's, that's the fruit of the Spirit. These character qualities. And every Christian should be growing in this fruit because of the activity of spiritual gifts. That's the role that we each play. See, fruit is your character, who you are. Gifts, gifts are the skill. Gifts are about what you do. Uh, fruit is about being. Gifts are about, about doing. And we, we need to watch this. And we, never, we need to never mistake fruit for gifts. See, one of the ways, if, 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 you're, if you're one of those people who's always putting yourself out there for other people and you get to a place where people are depending on you and here's one of the things you start doing. You, you start thinking, man, God is with me. I mean, look at all these people out here who depend on me. God is, God is doing something with me. Look at everybody that I'm helping. Look at the lives that I'm touching. God is with me. If you do that, the moment you do that, you're, you're violating the intent uh, of the spiritual gifts because gifts, gifts are, are, are not fruit. Fruit is, are you yourself growing in joy? Are you yourself more confident in, in, in the Lord's presence with you even when things are rough? You know, are you, are you less tossed by your emotions than you are by the, the presence of God? Do you find yourself getting humbler? Do you care less and less what other people are saying about you? Because if you do, that's the fruit of spiritual gifts growing in you. Is your prayer life growing, growing richer? That, that's fruit. Unfortunately, that's not what mostly happens. 
See, what mostly happens is people who end up on that other path eventually end up empty on the inside. You know, thinking that they're doing well with God, but they're not really growing in fruit. And one of the ways you see that, that, that shows up outwardly in, in so many places. It just, it just shows up. Charles Spurgeon, who was a great Baptist preacher who trained lots of other Baptist preachers, he wrote a, a little training manual, and I, I read part of it, and I don't remember anything really uh, about that little book other than this statement. He said, don't preach the gospel in order to save your soul. Don't go into to, to this ministry of preaching in order to save your soul. And I remember thinking, again, I remember thinking, what idiot would do that? You know, what, what crazy person would go into the ministry to save their souls? They should, should already be saved. But I know what he meant now. I, I understand it. See, when you use your spiritual gift as a replacement for spiritual fruit, when you get busy in the, the, the things of ministry and unhappiness and emptiness or setting up inside, and you hide that, you know, by doing all these things, something destructive is about to happen. Some, something destructive is going to, to come. And you and I both, we all know a very prominent people in ministry that that's happened to. It all looked great on the outside, but suddenly you find out there had been years of destructive deceit and just misery on their part going on just beneath the surface. All kinds of problems inside. And what was happening is they were, they were using ministry to cover up fruit. And that is so destructive. The spiritual gifts are given to restore souls. Not destroy souls. So never make the mistake of, of swapping the idea of, of I, I need gifting, I need to get out there for transformation that God really wants to bring. Here, here's the last question. How should I engage my gift? How, how should I engage my, my gift? Now we just, we talked a moment ago about some of the problems that spiritual gifts create. You know, power struggles that it may create. People, you know, pa through passivity, squandering their gifts. Others burning out, um, working really hard to fill an, an emptiness instead of going to God to let him fill that up. And so there, there, are, there are problems around spiritual gifts and we need to be engaging biblically with how to engage our gifts. And there's really one word that kind of sums up how do I engage spiritual gifts biblically. There's, there's one word that really captures how we're to do that. And it shows up almost every time there's a list of spiritual gifts. And it's the word love. It, it's, it's the word love. You see it here in Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verses 15 and 16. Speaking the truth in what? In love, we are to grow up in every way into him, Jesus, who's the head into Christ. When each part is working properly, the body grows so that it builds itself up in what? In love. You know, if, if you go and you read Paul's writings to the church at Corinth about the spiritual gifts, he writes in chapter 12 about spiritual gifts. He writes about, in chapter 14 about how to, how to deploy those spiritual gifts. What are some problems? What's smack in the middle? That incredible 1 Corinthians chapter 13 on love. 
Because that it's essential to any way that we talk about using our gifts. And here's why. Over and over, God says, if, if you're passively not using your gifts, what that shows is a lack of love. If you're running to and fro burned out, it shows that you lack love for God. If, if, you're, if, you're, if you're not using your gift, you lack love for his church, you're being selfish. But if, if you're being burned out because you're trying to cover up something, then what's happening is this inner emptiness. It's a lack of love and trust in God because God's love's not healing your life. If you're, if you're in kind of a power trip because you've got a, a, a public ministry somehow and you're, you're kind of swaggering with that and, and you think more of yourself, that's a lack of love. If you're jealous over somebody else who may, has more influence, that's a lack of love. And we need love when we're talking about employing the, the spiritual gifts. So, so how do you get that? How do you get that love that ties into the spiritual gifts? Well, you go back to the beginning of the passage that we read together, that section that didn't seem like it made any sense for being there. Verses 8, eight 9, and 10. I wanna, let's go back and look at starting in verse 7. It, it says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. And again, whenever I first would read that, I would kind of jump down to verse 11 because that other part in the middle, kind of, I didn't understand the connection. But here's what was happening. I was missing... The beauty of the gospel in spiritual gifts. Because that's the gospel story right there. And if you take the message of the gospel out of the function of the spiritual gifts, that's where everything starts breaking down. Now just give me a couple minutes to unpack this. Let me read it again. It says, therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now this is talking about Jesus here in, in Ephesians, but I want to take you back to kind of Old Testament times. In, in, in that ancient time if a king was in a city and there was an enemy and the enemy was coming to attack his people and would enslave everyone that king would go out and do battle and if that king won he would deliver his people from oppression and captivity he would return triumphantly he would ascend his throne and then all the spoils of war he would share with his people he would literally give gifts that's what that passage is talking about. He would take the riches that he won in his conquest and, and bless the city. And so when Paul writes those words uh, that we know as verses 8, 9, and 10, what he was doing was he was actually reaching back to Psalm 68. He's quoting from Psalm 68, verse 18. And that psalm is about David, who when he was the king, he went into battle and he brought back the Ark of the Covenant. And he some of you remember the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament represented the very presence of God. And David brings it back after a battle. He brings it back to the holy city of Jerusalem, to Mount Zion. And he puts it back in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. And so Psalm 68 is this great celebration. But Paul's looking at that and he's saying that wasn't the end. That, 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 that wasn't the end. That God who's the ultimate king wasn't done yet. 
That, that God had brought his people out of captivity and slavery in Egypt. And then he, he, he set them up in, in, in Jerusalem. And he was present in the midst of his people at the Holy of Holies. He, the, 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 if you want to think of the gifts that he gave, it was the, the promised land that was flowing with milk and honey. But when Paul looks back into that and he reads that, as Paul always does when he's reading the Old Testament and the way we should read the Old Testament, he always did it Christ-centrically. Paul always reads into the Old Testament and sees Jesus everywhere. So, so Paul sees Jesus back when he reads Psalms chapter 68. And Paul realizes God wasn't done. That God the king had an even bigger enemy. That bigger enemy was sin and death. And, and God the king had a way of, of dwelling in the midst of his people. And it was going to be the Holy Spirit. But in order for that to happen, for him to put his spirit in you and me, Jesus had to descend. He had to come from, from heaven to earth. He had to leave honor and glory and he had to descend into rejection and torture and, and death. Jesus had to descend into that. Descend in humiliation. He descended. Why? So that when he went to the cross, he could atone. He could defeat sin and death. He could atone for us. He could pardon sin. And like the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God, Jesus was getting a pardon for your sin and my sin so that God could live in you. So that he could put his spirit into our lives. And when sin was atoned for, the very presence of God could come to live in his people. Which is the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Giving us relationship with God. Friends, that's love. And love is essential to the gifts. See, Jesus descended. He lost everything. That, that was love. And until we get melted by that great love, by that profound change, by, by what it took for, for Jesus, what he had to go through so that you could experience God's presence indwelling you, you'll never, never live out your gifting properly. You'll, the Holy Spirit will never be able to express his life through you. You'll never exercise your gifting until you are just melted by the love of Christ. And so here's what happens when you get melted by the love of Christ as it relates to, to spiritual gifts. The first thing that you'll do is you'll, you'll receive the Holy Spirit by trusting Jesus. By coming to understand that you're a sinner separated from his love and by your sin. And that the only way to be made right with God is through Jesus. And when Jesus forgives you, when you trust him, when you repent of your sin, the Bible says God puts his spirit in you. And when the spirit comes to live in you, he will express himself through your life. And then the second thing that you need to do is you need to identify your shape. You need to identify the unique way that God has formed. Your spiritual gifting, your heart, the things that you're passionate about, your unique abilities, your personality and personal style and the experiences God has given you. You need to be able to identify that. And we want to help you. This is one of the ways we want to equip you. In your newsletter today, um, there's uh, some information about a, a, a seminar over two weeks that's coming up starting on the, the, the 13th, I think. Somebody look real quickly. Is it the 13th? It's in your newsletter. Yes, starting the 13th for over two Sunday nights. A seminar to help you identify your shape so that you can begin utilizing and living out God's plan for you. And then the third 
kind of engagement that we need to have is this. We need to stay focused on Jesus as a church and as individuals. We need, to, we, we need to constantly be looking at his beauty. We need to see his character. We need to see his holiness. We need to see his love. It is the only way any church will ever function biblically in the giftings of the Spirit. Is if we're living out of his love. If we're doing that. If we see his forgiveness. If we, if we start saying, I don't want to just live to be happy. I want to live to be like Kim. I want to live a life of purpose. I, I, want, I want everybody around me growing to be more like him. And if that's your heart, then here's what the challenge today is. Use your spiritual gifts. Know them. Receive the spirit. Discover who God's made you to be and for what ministry and then jump in. Jump in. Let me pray for us. Father, we come in this moment thankful for your word that opens our hearts and minds to your great plan for your church. For your plan for it to actually thrive for it to grow, for it to, to, to grow, not just numerically, but in deeper love with you and each other. And it's through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit living in us. So my prayer right now in this moment, God, is that all of us would press into your biblical plan for living in us so that we could connect first with you. We could be connected to you, God, but then we could be connected to one another the way that you have always dreamed, the way that you have planned before you even created. That was your plan, is that your people would love you and each other. So I pray, God, that you would move in our lives, move on our spirits now, and God, remind us that all of it has to be centered in, rooted in, wrapped in love. That it was the love of Jesus that made it possible. That it's the love of Jesus and Jesus alone that can make it beautiful for us in the here and now. So God, I pray that you would lead us. And if you're here for the first time and you, you heard the gospel and know that your sin has separated you from the life God has planned for you, that you haven't got God's spirit living in you, there's just emptiness and loneliness and rejection. Today, right now where you're at, you can pray. You can trust Jesus Christ for your eternity, for your here and now. You can repent of your sin, of, of thinking you could do it your own way, of being made right with God through your effort. You could cast all that aside. You could turn away from that and turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, I realize you're the only way, only by your grace. And he says he'll put his spirit in you and he'll give you purpose. Father, we pray right now that you would have your way in our hearts and minds. That you would have your way in River Bluff Church. Spirit, that you would do that through your empowering presence. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.